by now you may or may not have heard of what's being called the battle at Montgomery and I'm pausing because I want to use words that make sense that don't add to the fire so to speak um in America there are issues along the lines of race and there is a lot of speaking for myself as a black person unhealed trauma associated with attacks and just all kinds of oppression physically mentally spiritually emotionally um financially for sure and we hold a lot inside of us whether we have been affected directly or indirectly um, over generations because the history is what it is and also on the other side because there is an other side where white people have historically blocked others movement unnecessarily so let me talk about it okay so and this is just from the portion that i've seen from the videos montgomery alabama riverfront there's a lot of action going on at this particular riverfront lots of different boats private boats um boats that do tours large groups of people okay So at this particular um, area, there was a private boat that parked itself where a huge boat, a tour boat, needed to, to come back in order to dock into. That was their space. So the person that worked for the company where the boat needed to dock asked those boat owners to move their boat more than one time. They had ample time to move their boat. The request went out more than one time. These were the white people in this situation. Uh, I don't know if it was a family, but they were all grouped up together, maybe eight of them, uh, mostly men, a couple of women, and they refused to move the boat. Now, I didn't hear the words, but I saw the video, and you could see the gestures, and they, they were spoken to more than one person off of that group of people were asked by this same guy who was a black man asked them to move their boat more than once he was literally doing his job they were literally blocking a whole boatload of people from getting back to their day and their destination from landing being able to come back to land and also blocking the next group of people who wanted to get on that boat and enjoy the water okay so they were asked several times to move, da 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 They didn't. So he untied their, um, whatever that rope is called. And so they responded to that instead of taking, and the boat was still there. The boat didn't move. They could have grabbed it, got on and did what they had. They had an opportunity to do the right thing. Move your boat. The boat hadn't floated off or anything like that. He was taking an action in order to get them to move. Their response? First of all, I want to point this out for anybody who, anybody else who may have noticed it from the videos. So like I said, it's about, I'm going to say six white guys. Kind of big white guys, right? Um, So several of them were talking to the employee, talking to him. Two of them, while he was busy being occupied talking to those people, two of them went around him to get behind him. They were doing the setup. When I saw that video, I said, yeah. (laughs) They were setting it up right then and there. It was very intentional. So the guy he was talking to, the, the guys he was talking to, whatever, they started talking and the women, were, the women were talking to um, the employee too. And then eventually one guy just ran and just punched him in the face. After he got punched in the face, first he turned his hat backwards and he threw his hat in the air like, y'all, it's going to be what it is. And they started fighting. When the fight started, it, was, it wasn't one-on-one because the two guys that had circled around the back came 
back running. They didn't even just start punching him. They took a running jump and jumped on him. So now it's like a six man on one pileup and the black man was on the ground. As a black person, this has happened way too many times where a black person was just attacked. Not on no, we can fight one on no, attack that way. And on that day, August 5th, 2023, it was, it was, yeah, it was like combustion. So the people who were on the boat, the people who were on the dock, everybody, nobody stopped. I didn't see, well, I did see one white guy who I think he also was an employee. He tried to um, help a little bit. He looked really young too. He looked like a teenager. And I I feel bad for him because he really did kind of try to help the black guy. But they pushed him. He he was like, he didn't want no smoke. So I don't even know. I saw him one time. He was off camera. Okay. Um, so eventually there was this one, and I want to give kudos to this black guy too. He had on a black t-shirt and white shorts. He did not, when he came, he was the first one on the scene trying to help the black guy. And this is another black man. He didn't fight anybody. He stood, he pushed them away and he kind of like stood protective over the black guy who was now on the ground. And he tried to like block, like y'all stop. He, he really tried to stop. Not enough people are talking about him. Most people are talking about the young man who swam from the boat to shore, jumped up on shore and got into the fight that he was only like 16. <laughs> Aquaman. Um, so if you haven't seen the videos, if you had, hadn't heard the story, just from this telling, you can tell there were a lot of aspects to it. It's, it was a lot going on. So after um, they jumped him and he had some kind of relief, he was able to stand up. The fight just continued because at that, at that point, they were able to dock somewhere else. And the people who were on the boat were mad as hell. And a lot of them were black. All of them weren't black, but a lot of them were black. And so the the boat, the private boat still hadn't moved. So they went up to them like, what do you, what would you, that was it. It was on. If you have access to the internet, you can see it for yourself. If you choose not to, it's probably better. I can't tell you what to do. Um, but yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. There's a lot of people involved. The commentary is hilarious. I will say the commentary is hilarious and it was a kind of release. Violence isn't okay, but yo, we didn't start it. And so to see us fighting the fuck back, excuse my language, but fighting back, it felt good. Ahmaud Aubrey got jumped by three white men with guns while he was jogging and had nothing. They attacked him with their cars, their guns, everything. It was Come on. I'm not even going to start naming how many people, how many black people, all the way back to Emmett Till and beyond, just jumped and and, and nobody... Nah. August 5th is going down in history. (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm laughing, but it's it's a lot to it. So anyway, the reason for today's episode, I... um, I am currently reading a book entitled The Healing Wisdom of Africa, written by Malidoma Somme. And um, I've been reading the book for a while. I'm on chapter... What chapter is this? Um, Chapter 8, Dagara Cosmology and Ritual. So I was not intending to read it on my podcast at all, but... When I got to the part about the elements, it got real interesting. And I saw a lot of American culture in the description of the elements. And I was like, you know what? It's a good idea, even if I just come back and listen to it myself to have an understanding that the Western way of seeing life and being a human being is not the only way to be. It's just not. 
and um, I'm going to read an excerpt from the book, um, starting with creation and the five elements, and then I'm going to get into the five elements, just to provide a different perspective, because again, the title of the book is The Healing Wisdom of Africa, and it's needed. Ashe. Creation and the Five Elements, an excerpt from the book, The Healing Wisdom of Africa, written by Malidoma Somme. For the Dagara people, cosmology begins with the story of creation. In the beginning, there was no earth as we know it. In its place was a burning planet a ball of fire combusting at high speed. Therefore, fire is the first element of the Dagara wheel. Fire is present in everything, and everything needs fire. It was not until this moving and burning sphere encountered a huge body of water that things began to change. Water became the second element in the cosmological wheel. The shock resulting from the collision of fire and water, not only slowed the combustion process, but also chased fire into the underworld, leaving the surface as a hot, steamy place, fertile for the breeding of all kinds of life forms. This surface, hospitable to life, is what is known as earth, which constitutes the third elemental principle of the Dagara cosmological wheel. The various hard components of the earth provide structure and connection and are known as mineral or stone, the fourth element in the cosmological wheel. Meanwhile, a steam of great density formed the atmosphere around the earth. These images translate imperfectly into Western terms. Think of them as poetic rather than scientific descriptions. As the steam expanded, its pressure began to subside. The reduction of atmospheric pressure was conducive to the birth of life. And thus, the fifth element, vegetative nature, came into being. Life, as Dagara people say, began underwater. Thus, every living form on the earth got its life signature in the waters and continues to live intimately with water. It is as if the original encounter between fire and water established the conditions for life by producing a nurturing environment. Earth came to life as a result of the marriage between these two primal elements. And in turn, Earth brought forth more life, which she continues to sustain. The idea that we all came from water is important because it implies that water is life a concept we will return to later in the chapter. As the pressure of the steam produced by the encounter of water and fire continued to subside, beings that were conceived in water looking like worms moved to dry land and continued to evolve. When the atmospheric pressure at last stabilized, the diversification of life slowed to an almost imperceptible state. Today, for instance, amphibious animals like crocodiles, sea lions, and seals are said to be beings that didn't complete their journey out of water. Their development was suspended when the atmospheric pressure stopped where it is today. On the other hand, beings who came out of the water earlier evolved into higher dimensional spheres, allowing them to move back and forth in time and space. 
They embody our future. Birds are considered among the most ancient animals because they moved first from the water to the land, then continued to evolve to flight. Some elders say that if things had continued to change, birds would have made it to other dimensions. One might ask where this primal water came from. The elders, from their spiritual understanding, would say that it came from the other world and spilled into the earth at a moment when the veil between the two worlds was thinned. The moment when the original earth flew too close to the other world. One might say that some kind of distortion occurred as the cool, liquid other world and the hot, burning earth passed too closely by each other. The distorted space sucked water out of the moist other world and threw itself onto earth. From this perspective, water is the presence of the other world on our planet. The element fire is the doorway to the ancestors, but water is the doorway to the other world, the kind of world that is referred to as the world of the contemplé and the other non-ancestral spirits. This is why shaman can walk into the other world through the waterways. In fact, there are countless places in water where these same veils still remain active. These veils are the umbilical cords, the gateways linking our world to others. The connection to the ancestral world that is found in the element fire is different from the connection with other beings and other intelligences. The spirits we call the condomble and the spirits of the ancestors do not live in the same place. They don't share the same geography, yet they can communicate with each other. Just as here, the United States and Africa do not share the same geography, yet they can communicate. And there is communication going on all the time. In an invocation, when you call to the spirits of your ancestors and to the spirits of the elements and to the helping spirits that you have some relationship with, you are calling on many, many different worlds. And the connection to these worlds are through the elements of water and fire, which are the two worlds that are said to have come together originally to make earth. One might wonder how other worlds to which our world is linked were created. Indeed, the Dagara cosmology does not limit itself to this earth world, but touches on others. This is because our world belongs to a family of worlds, without which it seems it cannot sustain itself. These other worlds were created in ways opposite to the way ours was created. In the creation stories, they came into being when their vast, cool waters were hit by fire. The difference is that their vibration is much higher in intensity than the vibration of our world. This high vibrational energy of the other world permits the intelligence that lives in these worlds to come here easily. Apparently, if the pressure of the atmosphere of our world had continued to evolve, it would have been easier for humans to journey into these worlds and back. Therefore, spirituality, our efforts to enhance and advance our contact with the world of spirit is seen 
from an indigenous perspective as the continuation of human evolution. Embodying the five elements. People and culture embody one or several of the five elements, knowingly or not. The most commonly seen elements at the level of cultures are fire and water. Indigenous cultures identify with water. They are mostly peace and harmony seekers. On the contrary, modern cultures identify with fire. They challenge everything and everyone at the great risk of cosmic disruption. Within these cultures, individuals are born, embodying one of these elements as their essence and carrying the rest at a variety of levels as support elements. No one can be just one element without the presence of the other four. Your essence is your genius. Your destiny is to allow your genius to come out wrapped in the colors of your character. A person with vision and passion who is always active and involved in countless activities embodies fire. A person with a deep focus who tends to seek peaceful solution to conflicts, who always sees harmony instead of discord, embodies water. A person who tends to take care of others, accepting them as they are, embodies earth. A person with great social skills who is always drawn to connect with others and who holds the stories of others, embodies mineral. Finally, a person who can't stand phoniness, who finds it impossible to pretend, who can only be himself or herself, embodies nature. Let's start with fire. Fire is the original element of origin, the one that was present at the beginning. Its primal nature is combustion, warmth, vision, and feeling. Its position in the wheel is the south, the underworld, and its color is red. It is the state to which everything eventually returns, the state of the ancestors, the state the ancestors are in. As we walk the earth, we are warmed by the heat of the ancestors coming from the underworld below us. Fire opens the doorway to the spirit world and allows our psyche to commune with other life that is present, past, and future. Fire is like a connecting rod, an open channel. In fact, fire is our psyche, the spirit part of us that knows what has always been. It is our ability to act, emote, and into it. A person on fire is craving a connection. In this person, fire is translated into restlessness, a great deal of emotion, a strong dream experience. The fire person is someone with an eye to the world of the ancestors and the spirit. He or she is in charge of the gateway between this world and the other, the ancestral. This person, understands dream imagery and can translate and interpret dream images to people. The fire person lives at the edge between human culture and ancestral culture. His or her task is to go back and forth between the two worlds. There is a unique aspect to such a person due to this ability to see into both worlds. Shamans fit into this category because they live in two worlds. They are not part of the common people who fit well into their culture. They can see the culture from the perspective of the world of the spirit. Similarly, people who feel at the margins of their culture may be dealing with the fire of their culture. They cannot quite fit in and other people have problems understanding why they won't behave like everybody else. The fire person is often misunderstood by contemporaries because, with respect to this world, a fire person lives in the future and therefore finds the average person too slow. 
his or her behavior can be seen by the average person as impatient, hyperactive, and sometimes intolerant. A fire person cannot stay idle. However, his or her fire may be translated into a warm, gentle flame that keeps a whole village, community, town, or culture aware of its vital relationship with other worlds. If a person or culture forgets its crucial relationship with other worlds, that is with the ancestors, a fire is ignited that becomes a destructive force in society. When that happens, a person or a culture suddenly perceives almost everything in terms of fire. Fire becomes equated with power, speed, hierarchy, and value. All this is symptomatic of a culture in combustion. And this is where I started seeing, reader's note, this is where I started seeing the culture I live in, American culture, being a fire culture. When one's culture is burning, it is impossible to sit still and keep focused. Like a ball of fire moving at high speed, a culture on fire is fascinated with speed. This speed shows up as horsepower on the surface, but deep within it is orchestrated by combustion. The burning within is symptomatic of some kind of crisis that drives people to remain endlessly on fire. The following description of a fiery culture may seem negative and unattractive. However, it is necessary to balance the positive elements of the fire person as an individual with the negative picture of a culture on fire. The reality is that fire is dangerous. When it runs out of control, it destroys everything in its path. When a culture <clears throat> is caught in fire, its people's perception of the world is red as they rush ceaselessly forward with a consumer's mentality, they pollute everything in their way, conquering and destroying anything that interferes. Fire culture promotes consumerism and cultivates scarcity in order to increase restlessness, then uses the restless, burning psyches, as energy to increase production and consumption. Meanwhile, the culture on fire is fascinated by violence. As a matter of fact, violence proves to be highly marketable and stimulates the fiery nature of the culture as a whole. Consequently, a fire culture is a war culture. It sees solutions in terms of fire, and conflicts as fire that can be resolved with more fire. Such a culture will require a lot of water to heal. Water. We mentioned earlier that water encountered fire to produce the positive changes that generate life. The fiery earth was cooled and firmed, which allowed it to support life, and so became a whole realm to which water could now give life. We are in this story, the children of water. Any person who understands the value of being the parent of a child knows that this is a great benefit. Water can claim us as her children. We can say that we come from earth, but earth didn't exist until water showed up. So water can lay claim to anything that is alive. Without water, nothing can be purified. Nothing can be authentic. Water allows us to maintain the kind of consciousness that links us to the other world. And hence, we see in so many mythologies the idea of water as the water of life, with water crucial 
to the spiritual experience and the spiritual journey. The element water reconciles and quiets down that which is trapped in the crisis of combustion. In effect, water cools the burning psyche. It stills the restless consciousness and bestows serenity upon a person in turmoil, returning focus to a chaotic existence. As an elemental unit in the cosmological wheel, its position is the north, opposite fire, and its colors are blue and black. Water seeks to cleanse, reconcile, and balance that which is in agitation, emotional disorder, and self-danger. When water succeeds, it restores or enhances life where there was the threat of death, hence the connection between water and life. To seek water is to seek to reconcile and balance that which is constantly in danger of being thrown out of balance that which is caught in the fiery loop of speed and consumption. To seek water is to seek the vitality and blossoming that comes from successful self-immersion. Water encourages a positive slowdown that permits one to notice things that are usually overlooked at high speed. And for this reason, water is associated with focus. The water person is slow, shows great understanding, and is eager to make things work for the greatest good. He or she perceives the world in terms of possibilities. The water person thinks of community, relationship, love, and harmony. Water is therefore also grief. Among other causes, grief arises from recognizing the loss that occurs from our failure to notice. And grief comes also from recognizing the wide gap between what is possible and the impossibility of getting there. The salted taste of tears of grief is the cleansing taste of reconciliation, of the desire to reconcile, because water cleanses and washes away the impurities of our failures. Grief is the enemy of denial. An elder once told me, my tears say that my soul has heard something about the other world. Mm. When the world is out of balance and unreconciled, the waters are polluted, mistreated. They become the dumping ground of the world's ignominies. So pollution is not a sign of progress. It is the sign of crises and the inability to reconcile. Pollution is the exhaust system of human denial. The disabled water lies useless, while humans in the midst of fire speed along their way looking for a means of reconciliation. Meanwhile, life-sustaining water must be rationed in many areas. It is as if fire doesn't like the presence of water. A water culture likes to keep things the way they are. Such a culture does not want the natural and environmental harmony to be perturbed. It is a slow culture with very little temper. It prefers to see the potential good in anything. People who have too much water have little ambition. They are not in a hurry to do or to complete anything. They perceive time very broadly and are annoyed when they are compelled to hurry up. They think about all the things they never accomplish, and if they are badly out of balance in the direction of water, they do not even have regrets about them. Mm. Earth. Earth symbolizes the mother on whose lap everyone finds a home. Nourishment, support, comfort, and empowerment. 
representing the principle of inclusion. Earth is the ground upon which we identify ourselves and others. It is what gives us identity and a sense of belonging. Produced as the result of the encounter between fire and water, Earth represents survival and healing, unconditional love and caring. Earth loves to give and gives love abundantly. In other words, Earth cares as much for the crooked as it does for the honest. Both of them are allowed to walk on her. In the Dagara cosmological wheel, Earth is located in the center and is colored yellow. This central position in the wheel stresses the importance of visibility. Earth is the power to notice, to see, and to thrill in being seen. The person who is of Earth is a lover of the world, of the Earth. Unlike water, which seeks a way always towards one place, the ocean, Earth finds comfort everywhere anywhere, and loves to give it. Earth people, or people with a lot of earth energy, are nurturers who, like all grandmothers, want everybody to feel fed, content, respected, and loved. Earth people can't stand the presence of scarcity. They would give away everything they had before they gave anything to themselves. Making others feel good makes them feel good. The earth person takes care of other people, spiritually, materially, and emotionally. A person without earth is in crisis or is homeless and in exile. Such a person has lost his or her grounding. A person without earth feels empty, alone, confused. She or he suffers from invisibility and anonymity. This unbearable situation can cause a whole culture to sell homes or parcels, sell homes or parcels of earth to each other. This is because home, in the symbolic or literal sense, is the basic ground for identity. If you remove people's home from them and then offer it to them for sale, people will have to buy it because being homeless is unendurable. Thus, pieces of our mother have entered into our trade system with great success. Is this why Western culture feels odd in front of homelessness? Is it why it doesn't know what to do with those people who can't fit economic expectations, land and the earth are now a commodity and this fact will not change. My point here is that the development of industrial economies and the movement of vast numbers of people into the cities has not changed the essential connection between human beings and the earth that engendered them. It has only caused them to forget when the people of a culture no longer remember that they are but a thread of the web of life on earth, then they all become homeless. Building community is difficult, if not impossible, if people have lost contact with the ground as their point of strength. For it is only from a place of grounding and centeredness that anyone can give something back to their world, to their community. Without grounding, people will tend to take as much from the world as possible since they are missing the nourishment that earth offers. Yet, after they have gained all the material things they need, they will still feel uncertain about themselves. It indicates that they have not yet felt invited to give something to the world. To take without prior giving is like putting the cart ahead of the horse. You are not grounded. Deep down, you do not know where you come from and therefore you are unsure about where you are going and why. Earth, the spiritual shrine of our being, 
is the center of being deeply human. Building a home. Because earth is our deep center, it is the center of rituals concerning the building of a home. It is appropriate to dwell on the ritual of house building <clears throat> among Zagara people to highlight its relevance to community and the sense of belonging. Among the Dagara, because the house is the most visible symbol of the earth, home is sacred. Similarly, there is a link between home and relationships, especially the relationship between the family and the community. This is why building a home is a very serious ritual undertaking. It is as if building a house is building a relationship. According to Dagara custom, men build the structure of houses and women make them come alive. Before a man builds a home, he must bring a gift of 1,500 cowrie shells and a chicken to the village's earth shrine. The cowrie shells represent abundance. The chicken represents life. The priest of the earth shrine takes the gift from the prospective homeowner and presents it to the earth spirit mother with a prayer of support. This prayer of support often takes the form of an invocation to the earth spirit to assist in the birthing of a new family. Then both the priest and the prospective homeowner strike the ground together with the same hoe. This gesture of cracking the ground open is symbolic of planting one's roots, even though it is not the place where the new home is built. After this, the prospective homeowner notifies the priest of the ancestor's shrine, who is usually the chief of the village, of his, of his intention to build. The next ritual will take place at the building location and will involve the priest of the ancestor's shrine and include once again the scratching of the ground while praying for community. The prayer translates roughly as, this is the expression of a desire to come together, not to part together. To form a community requires the blessing of the ancestors if it will sprout and grow. From then onward, the house is built by stages, each of which is ritualized with sacrifices and offerings to the spirit of the ground and to the ancestors. All of this takes months to complete. The section of the home for animals is built first because of the respect due to animals. Almost at the same time as the animal section is finished, a roof is placed over a small section intended for people. A home becomes a home when it has a roof, for at that moment the spirits that support the family move in. Someone of the family must move in immediately to keep the supportive spirits from leaving, for an unoccupied house invites evil spirits. Soon after the roof is put in place, the women's quarters are completed and the women and children move in. No bathroom is built into the house since people use nature for sanitation and human waste fertilizes the farmland. The man of the house will be the last one to move into the new home. People occupy the new house, but the true owner is considered to be Tingan, the spirit of the earth, because Tengan owns the home. Every household problem is a message from Tengan, including sickness and relational crisis. When such a crisis occurs, it is the result of a distancing from Tengan and family, mem family, <laughs> family members must consult a diviner to find out what Tengan wants. The home is a direct extension of the relationship between members of a family and the village. The breaking of the new ground must therefore be undertaken with the presence of the community. The gradual move is made necessary because the process of shifting the location of the relationship is a delicate one. The extensive set of rituals 
serves the purpose of allowing the existing relationship between the family and the community to be transferred safely to a new location, a new ground. There is no move-in ritual because the move does not take place the day you change location, but the day you think about changing location. Wow, I gotta read that again. There is no move-in ritual because the move does not take place the day you change location, but the day you think about changing location. Mm. In this case, the ritual done with the priests of the earth shrine and the ancestors at the beginning of the process can be considered the move-in rituals. Mm. Mineral or stone. From the element earth, we move to the fourth element, mineral. Mineral is the storage place of memory, the principle of creativity, resources, stories, and symbolism. In the cosmological wheel, mineral is located in the west and is colored white. It is the elemental energy that allows us to remember, to communicate with one another, to express our feelings, to receive messages from the other world, and to remember our origins and purpose in this life. These functions are what the human skeletal structure made of mineral is all about. In Dagara physiology, our bones, not the brain, are the storage place of memory. In the village, it is not uncommon to hear an elder say, this is in our bones as it was in the bones of our ancestors. In the West, there is a similar saying, I knew it in my bones, which refers to a deeper, more elemental knowing than is possible through rational thought. To the indigenous person, mineral is also equivalent to stone. As they say, the bones of the earth are the stones and rocks we see. To know the true story of our earth, including the story of ourselves, is to listen to the rocks. They are the conduits through which earth passes information onto us. Any creature that is born with bones is said to be born already possessing some knowledge. This is where the indigenous derive their belief that no one comes into this world without a genius and that this genius must be opened to the person shortly after birth, first through the name and later on through initiation. All those in Western culture who wander without purpose are perhaps stripped of their genius and are in exile searching for ways to remember. These are people in need of mineral rituals to repair their relationship to memory, which is symbolized in mineral. Indigenous people think that our bones are the minerals in which we store thousands of years of information. They store that which we need to remember. This makes me wonder if many problems of the West are a result of forgetting. I wonder also if those in Silicon Valley who shave stones to their essence and put them in machines of memory perhaps already know somehow that stones have always managed information. My sense is that those who experience midlife crises are responding to the pull and push of masses of information they have not been using because they can't fully remember. For example, if there were a way to help people use the deep memories that they brought with them into this life, it would make a tremendous difference in their sense of direction and purpose. I wonder also if part of the modern world's fascination with the internet can be traced to this vast memory gap. People are searching for something. And when the information stored in our bones is neglected, 
One feels the urge to go outside the self in search of it. If the information out there echoes the information inside of us, could it be that the great turmoil of unrecognized wisdom within us is forcing us to race along the information superhighway, hoping that we will discover what we already have? The proliferation of various software to make the venture even easier would support this thought. Does Windows 95 suggest the promise of a peek into the other world? Indigenous people don't learn by looking outside themselves. Instead, they learn how to remember the knowledge they already possess. The person who has a mineral nature speaks a great deal because mineral expresses in discourse what is stored in coded form within the bones. Mineral people are storytellers, fascinated with myth, tradition, and rituals, versed in dealing with metaphors and symbols. In Africa, they are the town criers who know what happens now and what has happened for countless generations. They constantly remind us in stories, proverbs, songs, and poems the deep healing significance of staying connected They know how to praise and how to warn. A culture weighted too heavily with mineral is frenetically involved with communication at every level, at every level. In such a culture, language is an impressive instrument of power. The problem with such a culture is in finding an audience or someone to listen. A mineral person's love for argument, for different ways of saying the same thing, and for eloquent ways of saying nothing, nothing can baffle the non-mineral person. In truth, a mineral person, of course, in truth, a mineral person or culture is extroverted, almost bombastic but almost always has a point. The gift they present to their society and the world is the gift of remembering through words and stories, one's origins and purpose. Nature. The elements of nature signifies the principle of change. It is transformation Mutation, adjustment, flexibility, cyclicality, life, death, and magic. Nature is vegetative. Therefore, it is all plants and landscapes, and it is all animals as well. In the cosmological wheel, nature is situated in the east, opposite mineral, and its color is green. Nature invites us to change consciously and to welcome change. Just as minerals stores information for our benefit, nature's complex paradigm is a library to those who pay attention. The magic we crave and our attraction to the supernatural are nature in their essence. This is because the tree, the plant, the landscape, and the serpentine river zigzagging downhill on its way to the ocean are all golden hieroglyphs capable of bringing a deep understanding to those willing to pay attention. Indeed, to the indigenous, it seems that the tree is the essence of consciousness. Landscapes and physical geography to indigenous people are a language, a writing that can be read. Elevated areas function very much like antenna, relaying or downloading information from faraway places, from the outer world to the inner world. Waterways take this information down to the underworld and carry messengers to the underworld. Barren and flat landscapes emit a fast-moving energy that is dangerous to isolated individuals. The Dagara see a desert as a place where faraway beings meet day and night. During the day, they are not busy and the light hides them, but at night... They are active and much more visible, 
Since one can get caught in their world and never find one's way back, only medicine men and women venture into wide open places at night. In heavily forested areas, the moisture of nature and the trees protects and shields human beings from the other world, but at the same time, because the tall trees are engaged in some mysterious activities, especially at night, normal people should not be exposed to them for they emit an energy that could affect their psyches as well as their bodies. This leaves the ideal living place for the Dagara as the savanna, with its sparse trees and tall grass, because such a place is sandwiched between two highly charged geographies. It is a refuge for human beings. Every life form is touched by this galactic communications system located in the geography. This is why, unlike in the West where nature and magic are often opposed, the indigenous see the two as inseparable. The nature person is seen as a person with great power to adjust, to change and shape shift. He or she is a witch, a magician, I have often wondered if the Puritans did not destroy witches because of their fear of the great power of nature within them. Western history is full of persecution of the natural and of nature. Today, even if witches are no longer burned alive, it remains that nature itself is being destroyed. Every time a tree is felled, another witch is terminated. Every time a place is cleared by a developer. A magical gift from the earth is crushed. Progress seems to point to nature as its main enemy. Justified by economics, it acts in disgust toward nature, as if nature were standing in its way. Nature people challenge us to be real, to be ourselves. They challenge us to drop the mask that the world expects us to wear, and they challenge us to see what is around us as it truly is. That challenge comes in the form of humor, play, and joy, which has tremendous subversive power. Nature people trick us through humor and jokes into being real. A nature person is like a child who loves to play and sees life as a challenging play. In such a person, pretense is hard to come by. The power of nature is not just in its magical abilities, but also in the kind of change it pushes us to make. For this reason, a culture dominated by nature will be extremely sensitive to the cycles of life. Its spirituality will be dominated by seasonal rituals to keep time with the changing rhythm of nature. The mythology and stories of such a culture will be crowded with trees and animals that speak, with beings that live underneath the waterways and inside mountains and hills. The people will tend to see living spirits behind birds, trees, and other animals, and will have complicated protocols for interacting with them. In the indigenous world, This is so true that an outsider may wonder how people manage to live with this consciousness. The shadow side of nature is black magic, the kind that is believed to harm other people. This is why, even though a witch is not a black magician, he or she is feared because of knowing how such magic works. It is my sense that if incorporating any of these five elements poses a challenge to modernity, then the challenge posed by nature is the most difficult of all. Indigenous people think that to be modern requires a move away from nature. They can't see how nature can be combined with modernity, for modern technology sets itself up in opposition to nature. But indigenous people also know that nature does not make compromises. (laughs) It does not flinch when confronted because its own destruction means our destruction. For this reason, indigenous people embrace the wisdom of living close to nature and respecting its wishes. And I am going to stop there. It goes 
um, into practices that the author of the book, Mali Doma, so May, um, did in his working life. He has passed on to the ancestral realm, but I'm not going to get into that. Again, the name of the book is The Healing Wisdom of Africa. You can order it for yourself, read it for yourself if you want to learn that part. I just wanted to share the aspects of the five elements and a different perspective of being in this world that we all share together. Ashe.